What's up, Warriors fans? This is the We Believe Golden State Warriors basketball podcast, a sports ethos presentation. Sam Warlick here, your host. We've got a very exciting episode today, going to be talking about free agency, the offseason, the California Classic. We've got young players, we've got organizational changes, and so much more. With me here to break it all down today is James Homer. Hey, James. Hey, Sam. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Caught up on a little summer league yesterday. Um, excited to uh, excited to get into it. Yeah, uh, it was. So it's quite the quick turnaround. Obviously, you know, Warriors losing in the second round to the Lakers. You get a little bit more downtime than when you make it all the way to the finals. But it still feels like things turn around way too quickly. You know, we just had the draft and then here we are already in the California Classic and then we got Summer League right around the corner. Yeah, it's definitely a, definitely a, a interesting time of, time of year in the NBA. I mean, you, you see all this stuff about how the, the Nuggets are like losing championship pieces and it's right after they had won the finals off and now they're everybody scouting their rookies. It's uh definitely um definitely definitely a fun time to be an NBA fan. There's really no off season when it comes to uh watching the watching the sport. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh today is an interesting day, July 6th, you know, it's the day all those contracts that we had seen in the start of free agency become official, so we had uh, the Chris Paul and Jordan Poole trade become official. We had the Corey Joseph free agent signing become official. Um, probably going to butcher his name for quite a while here, but uh, Brandon Pod- Podjetsky, um, he got his contract signed. Um, and then as well as uh, Trace Jackson um, as well. So we've got some new people, obviously some, some changing of the guard here with uh, with Bob Myers stepping down and uh, Mike Dunleavy Jr. has not been shy or bashful stepping into his role and uh, switching things up. Um, we got a lot of different things to talk about here, but uh, maybe get things started with your thoughts and feelings around uh, the Chris Paul and Jordan Poole trade. Uh, yeah, that's... Uh... It was definitely shocking. Um, I had to reread it a couple times just to make sure that the the tweets that I was getting weren't uh, weren't from fake accounts. But um, I think it's it's something that I've definitely taken some time to warm up to. Uh, I think that when you look at it from a frame of reference of Chris Paul being a very stabilizing change of pace kind of signing that he was, uh, and you can even look at the Houston Rockets. Um, strangely enough, for the kind of tempo changes that they went when he was on the floor and James Harden wasn't. Uh, I think that that's something that the Warriors definitely benefit from. And if you look back to you know, when Sean Livingston was uh, the point guard off the bench, and even Andre Iguodala at times, the way that the Warriors play with their second unit is definitely something that he can kind of command and that everybody would benefit from him running. Uh, 
Definitely sucks to lose Jordan Poole, though. I think that after a down season last year, um, there were a lot of people who were a little lower on him than you know they were the year before, but he was pretty integral to a championship run. Uh, he provided offense in a spot where the Warriors don't generally get a lot of offense off of their uh, off their second unit. And I think having the uh, having that kind of third splash brother, not just skill set, but also mentality to a degree. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where you see prospects or great players who are gone too early from franchises that could use them down the line. And I think that while the window is definitely closing for, you know, the big three to kind of win a championship, I think that last year was a bit of an anomaly, just given all of the things that kind of happened with JP. Um, I think that the Chris Paul trade is ultimately going to end up being a win for the kind of win now timeline, but it's definitely a gamble. Yeah, very, very valid. Um, a lot of good points being raised there. I was definitely a big Jordan Poole proponent champion, um, certainly on this podcast coming to his defense. Um, of a similar mindset that last season was definitely a down season for him. He had a lot of adjustments, a lot of, of changing roles, but he provided that missing punch, right? That dynamic score mm. off the bench that we probably haven't had since uh, Leandro Barbosa. Um, just yeah. kind of that quick flashy guard who can come in off the bench and get a bucket. Um, now, I think that in the championship run season that he played that integral role he had some different factors that i think in hindsight at least for me helped to speak to why he flourished in that role and then struggled last year um you had clay thompson miss you know two-thirds of the season so pool was basically the starting two guard then right when Clay Thompson came back, Steph Curry got hurt. So then Poole basically continued to start um, as the starting point guard. And then that first round against Denver, when Poole was just absolutely on fire, you had Steph Curry coming off the bench. So I really see le- um, two seasons ago when Jordan Poole really went from um, this great story of this guy who was playing way too fast his rookie year and put in all this work in the gym and went to the G League in Santa Cruz and, and you know, took all this feedback and worked so hard. And then it really just all came on full display was as a starter. Um, and he really couldn't figure it out coming off the bench and being consistent last season. He basically was unplayable down the stretch in the playoffs. Um, defense has never been his calling card, but um, the shot selection, the turnovers, um, he's basically, you know, only had one speed, which was like 100 miles per hour. And um, he certainly was an embodiment of those kinds of momentum changing runs that Warriors fans are accustomed to that just you know, inject so much energy and excitement to the crowd and every play is like a highlight reel. Um, but when you saw him in the postseason when teams could properly scout against him and he basically lost all confidence in his outside shot, it wasn't falling, he couldn't get to the rim, he couldn't draw fouls, he, could, he couldn't defend, he couldn't run the second unit. Um, just a lot of 
gaps and holes and certainly things that he could correct. I'm not out here saying that, you know, he's a failed player, but also the body language um, was, uh, was concerning as well. And you could, you know, attribute that to the dream, the, the dream on punch. You could attribute that to just a lot of struggles and ups and downs throughout the season, but a few different clips of different times in the Kings series and the Lakers series that I think kind of led to the the game seven speech um before before the um the game in Sacramento where yeah. you have Curry pu- pulling pool aside you know Draymond goes to like slap him five at a timeout when it's kind of a, a pool's kind of having a, a struggle and and pool just brushes back past Draymond and Curry's like don't do that don't fucking do that. Like that doesn't help winning, like help us win. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you just saw um, some clashing of mentalities and, and possibly some questioned character, which maybe partially is totally valid and, and justified, but mm-hmm. you do see the adjustment. Now when you bring in Mike Dunleavy jr, they go trade that and bring in Chris Paul. And then struck out in a few different places in free agency, but you ultimately sign um, Corey Joseph. I was, I just thought, I think as I'm sure many did that we were going to bring back Ty Jerome. Unfortunately, the Cavaliers uh, stole him for, from us or warriors chose not to match the two year deal for him. Um, but Corey Joseph also is a very good low turnover, you know, high career assist to turnover ratio type point guard stabilizing force, um, certainly not as formidable as Chris Paul, but you can see how there has been this um, shift in approach in getting guys that play with poise that that are kind of more um, take their time type players, which I think is going to be very stabilizing for the second unit. And um, another thing I think is the way that pool played gave no didn't do anything for anybody that was on the court around him. Right. He wasn't yeah, helping definitely. Steph Curry or clay Thompson. When he was on the floor. He wasn't helping Moses Moody or, or Jonathan Kaminga. He certainly was capable of making plays to set up his teammates, but he wasn't really a facilitating point guard coming off the bench. He was more or less looking to get his, get his points and get his shots up. And as part of that, and drawing attention from defenses, he was able to make the right pass. And he, I think he did have a couple games with like double digit assists. Um, but Chris Paul brings in a completely different mentality, uh, a completely different style in games and, and, and um, type of, of uh, game that he likes to play. And it'll be interesting to see how they make that mesh. Um, I get the sense that Chris Paul is going to start. I don't know if that's just going to be like for the first two minutes and then he subs out. But I think very clearly we're all looking at this from like Chris Paul is going to run the second unit. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how the rotations look, because I think we're all hoping that Chris Paul's not going to play 30 minutes a night. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out and, and what that looks like and, and what Steve Kerr and the coaching staff decide to do. But um, sad to see Jordan Poole go, but I do feel like there's some reminiscing thoughts, feelings, energies from when Joe Laca bought the team and traded Monte Ellis for Andrew Bogut. Right. Yeah. And it was a very unpopular trade and, and Monte Ellis 
you know, he got a few more deals and, and bounced around the league, but he fizzled out because he wasn't really serious about his game and, and he had serious gaps and holes in his game. And I don't hope that for Jordan Poole, obviously, he's got um, this great, you know, four-year contract that he'll start in Washington. Um, but if he doesn't kind of correct and adjust and become a complete player, I do see that he could fall into that type of Brandon Jennings or Monte Ellis type of pitfall where you're just kind of a one trick pony when teams know how to scout you and you, you don't really, you don't really have um, the ability to make adjustments or kind of really build on that and add more to your game that eventually, you know, teams don't want to pay you $20 million to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the, the Monte Ellis analogy is pretty good because um, one thing that when you kind of look at pool, especially last season, like his best stretch of games there was like eight games in the middle of the season that Steph had missed in January, February, where um, Poole was scoring at a very high clip. He was scoring like 28, 29 a game, but he was also averaging five turnovers a game. He was shooting below 30% from three. I think that the the Monte comparison works a lot just because they kind of play a similar style. I do think that, and obviously like I'm I'm going to be a relatively avid Wizards watcher next season just because I like watching Jordan Poole play basketball. Um I think that when we've kind of seen him at his highs, like he has a uh, definitely that higher ceiling. So what you're talking about about kind of taking his game seriously and and learning to to simplify it. That was always kind of a big theme with Poole was simplifying his game because there were a lot of moments where he would just try to do too much that when he kind of starts to figure it out and it's, you can almost compare it to like Jordan Poole plays a lot like Steph when he's on a heater versus how he should probably play most of the time is how Steph plays most of the time because he has that level of talent. And I think we've all, we've all kind of seen that. So he definitely has a, um, definitely has a high ceiling, uh, but you have to worry a little bit about, that kind of work ethic and that's the the chris paul coming in and i think that the effect that he'll have on some of the younger guys especially moody who who's you know always been kind of a winning player and we saw that a lot in the uh in the playoffs last year as well as kaminga who has been very clearly working on his game uh, i think that chris paul is going to do a lot for both of them as well as uh brandon podjimski and trace jackson davis yeah, and I mean, listen, if the Warriors the Warriors won the championship this past season, I think we this would be we'd be having a much different conversation and dialogue oh, and I don't think Jordan absolutely. Poole gets traded, right? I think absolutely. the Warriors win, Lakeup's like, "Ah, so I'll, I'll eat the tax for another year and and just kind of figure this thing out." But very clearly something needed to change. They're not going to continue to, you know, fall into the second apron of the repeater tax and pay upwards of over 400 million um, for the roster and and all of those things to be, you know, a second, you know, a second round out in what was a very disappointing season. And you also think back of all of the challenges and struggles of the regular season and feel like and even maybe the last 3 seasons, I feel like how many games the Warriors were unable to win in the last 5 minutes where we like threw the game away. Um, feels like we've done it now in that road game in Charlotte three years in a row where we just can't win on the road in Charlotte. It's a close game. You had like the Brad Wanamaker 
awful turnover um and and just other types of blunders and and now you go in and you get chris paul who can really help manage a lead who can help make sure that you get off a good possession um and he doesn't have to be the one taking the shot but he certainly can be and that's just a stark contrast from jordan Poole's style that you just highlighted very well he plays like he's on a heater all the time and yep. when he is on one he is absolutely incredible and he has near curry like range and he can take step backs and take incredible shots without even really seeing the hoop and do all sorts of herky jerkiness and, and shoot from half court and whatever um but the majority of the time when he's not on a heater it's a lot of turnovers and a lot of shot turnovers and not great efficiency and i feel like he did a really great job of getting to the foul line to mitigate that in this last season but what it felt like is that was a lot of um kind of flopping because it didn't end up translating to uh playoff free throws which is where it really counts and yeah. so it, it ended up being a little bit more fluff than substantive um which hurts because you you need those points and, and you need the uh good shots yeah i think that that's a that's a great way to look at it because when you look at kind of the uh the foul rate that a lot of you know warriors guards over the past couple of years traditionally don't have an excellent foul rate uh pool was kind of a change in that in that trend but like you said when it kind of got to the playoffs a lot of his tricks weren't working and you know moving forward that's going to be a a big theme and it feels a, a little just because of the rule changes and it feels a little ironic that we're talking about jordan pool selling calls when we traded him for chris paul um <laughs> yes <laughs> i do think that that's i do think that that was definitely a factor like it's a it's a growth point in pool's game to where he is kind of selling that contact and he's definitely converting at the line but you know how valuable is his brand of selling contact in the playoffs and where does it actually help him i mean at some point it just becomes needing to take smarter shots. Um, I think that that was definitely, while while we saw a lot of regression from Poole, there was a lot of advancement in his game as well uh, and kind of more strangely nuanced places. Like he looked better as a chaser on defense. Um, he was selling the contact well. I think that he was a bit more passive when he was driving the lane, uh, which is another thing that, you know, the Warriors have kind of, seem to put an emphasis on is creating spacing to like veteran spacing to kind of generate a little bit more rim pressure i think that their draft picks especially kind of exemplify that uh but that kind of the kind of pressure that pool was putting on the rim was very you know it was very on and off and a lot of it was let's see if we can get to the free throw line and obviously when he wasn't shooting well that didn't really work out uh too excellently and he was you know he could get to the line but he was also missing a couple free throws that you can't really miss if you're going to have a game so focused on trying to get a whistle and it was it's just kind of a, an evolution of his game that is going to take probably a couple of years to refine but when you're looking at a championship window there's just not time to refine that in the next two three years yeah, most certainly. So how do you feel about um, our 
free agency concerns. I, I, I know a lot of people had um, what I thought were pretty lofty expectations that the Warriors were going to yeah. grab all of these um, minimum, these veteran minimum contracts and, and looking at guys like uh, uh, Yuta Wantanabe and Tori Craig and other types of very valid and and kind of proven journeyman role players um but really i think kind of missing the context of like you've got Mo, uh jonathan kaminga and moses moody who are in year three and this is kind of make it or break it um and kaminga definitely had a really good regular season obviously didn't crack the rotation much in the playoffs steve kerr talked about that feeling like with gp2 and um and Wiggins there just wasn't really minutes for him he needs to learn how to be a better rebounder to get onto the floor and play in that forward position but Moody in that Lakers series especially um almost looked like he kind of outplayed DiVincenzo for that for minutes as kind of the seventh uh seventh guy off the bench um and so, but we danced this dance last year too. I felt like last season having similar off-season discussions, like, oh man, our bench is gonna be so good. We've got Poole and Wiseman, Kaminga and Moody, and then um that all didn't really pan out. Now I do feel like something I haven't seen people talk about a lot is the fact that the Warriors got off to such a bad start last season, yeah. losing all of those games on the road to really bad teams in the east and really put the pressure on Steve Kerr within like the first five to 10 games that like, I don't have the luxury to let Kaminga and Moody play through mistakes. We're in win now mode. Every game matters and we're playing like crap. And so I, I don't, ha- and, and then you've got Jordan Poole who isn't a stabilizer. So when Poole's on the floor coming off the bench, that's taking away from, from Moody and Kaminga. It's certainly not helping them. So I think part of it is you bring in CP3 and and you think that Chris Paul is going to have more of an impact for those guys uh, coming good Moody and, and like their odds at moving forward. And I also think that if the Warriors were not certain about coming good Moody or unwilling to take a risk or a gamble, because nobody's got a crystal ball and knows for sure they would have traded them. Right. And the Warriors were looking at trading Kaminga and the 19th pick to move up. They decided not to. Um, I didn't see anything officially about them looking to trade Moody, but I'm sure they were exploring the market and there wasn't anything that they really liked. So what are you going to do with Tory Craig? Is Tory Craig going to come in and be like the 12th man off the bench? He's not Juan Toscano Anderson, right? He's not a Bay Area born and raised and just loves the team so much that he's happy to be the guy you know, that's going 150% in practice and and maybe cracks the rotation every now and then like these guys want to play. And yeah. I think that's, you know, Phoenix, had, Phoenix had four spots, you know, 20 minutes plus to offer guys. And so they, they signed a lot of those guys and, and it makes yeah. sense. And I'd rather let Kaminga and Moody get their shot um, to make it or break it and, and really get that crack at that 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes a night. Um, Because both of them have something to offer, but I'm certainly not really freaking out. I I do think I'd like to see them get some size, but also I don't want them to just sign somebody for the sake of signing somebody 
that, yeah. you know, isn't really going to fit or doesn't really make sense. Cause we saw, um, you know, what it, when we had James Wiseman, right, he was size and he was awful and everybody was criticizing him. So why does everyone yeah. think that like Mo Bamba or Bo Bol or Dwight Howard at like age 38, like is going to be any different than somebody who like, they just think like, oh, we just need a big body to get a big body. And then you get them on the floor and it's like, oh, well, he can't defend and pick and roll. He can't defend and drop coverage. He's too slow. He can't, he can't finish. Like, what are we doing with this guy? Get him out yeah. of here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, that was definitely, um, and it's, it's always funny whenever people bring up kind of the size argument, because just two years ago, the Warriors won a championship with the only, ironically enough, the only rostered player that they had over six nine was James Wiseman. Right. He didn't play in the postseason. So and, and Draymond, Draymond and Looney held their own against Jokic yeah. in that first round series. Obviously without a healthy Jamal Murray, um, a healthy Michael Porter Jr., but yeah. still for that just size on size argument. Yeah. And you even saw GP two get a couple of rotations on uh on Jokic, which was pretty impressive considering that he's six four uh incredible i think that's an underrated aspect of last year as well is that he's going to be back on the roster and he's going to have a full kind of healthy season you know he missed a couple games due to whatever was happening in portland um but i th think that the the size argument is always interesting to me because the warriors have never really been about their size their centers outside of andrew bogut weren't getting you know, 25 minutes of 25 minutes plus of run outside of Bogut. And I guess if you count Looney, like he's an undersized center, but he's still playing, you know, 22, 23 minutes a game and he's grabbing 20 rebounds. I think that the, the size argument is definitely overrated. When you look at what the Warriors really need is kind of front court spacing. And I think that when, and I think that that's something that they can really, uh, that they could have added in the draft, even though, you know, they got Pajimski, who was a 44% shooter from three in college. Uh, you know, they were, they had the opportunity to get Chris Murray, but, you know, it kind of digressed from that. The biggest target for the Warriors this offseason has been Dario Saric, and I think that kind of exemplifies a good thing about, like, what the Warriors would need because Saric is a four and can play, you know, a small ball five. Torrey Craig doesn't really move the needle like that. And when you look at kind of like just getting size to get size, like the size has to be purposeful in Steve Kerr's offense because he's very technical about how he uses every guy on the floor. Like he's not just going to throw somebody out there, like a even like a Nerlens Noel who plays great defense. If he's not usable on the offensive end and he doesn't play kind of multiple ways, then he's not going to do a lot in in a Steve Kerr coach team. And I think that ironically enough, departing general manager, Bob Myers kind of said it best uh, that when you look at the playoffs, you need guys who can do more than one thing. Uh, I think that the free agent signings that the Warriors are looking at uh, definitely, you know, when they talked about like Dario Saric was a very close kind of, they should have signed them earlier uh, because he can do multiple things. He can, space the floor, he can rebound a little bit, and he's a pretty good offensive presence for being 6'10". I think that there are a lot of guys who are, like you were sort of saying earlier, 
in a different context, you know, one trick ponies that wouldn't really help the Warriors bench depth. And that's kind of been the theme of the offseason is everybody's like, where are we going to find this one guy who fills this one aspect that we're missing? Like, that's just not how the Warriors sign players. And I think that, that this offseason has been a good good kind of reflection on that. And I think that the roster that as it is now is, you know, it has a lot of holes in it. But at the same time, if you can't find a guy who who fits, then there's not really a reason to to go chase that when he's going to play 10, 15 minutes a night. And a lot of those guys wouldn't want to play 10, 15 minutes a night. Especially for vet minimum. Oh, okay. absolutely. In San, was... in San Francisco, right? So yeah, you're not, you're not making much, you're not making much money and you're not getting a ton of playing time. You can potentially revitalize your career if everything goes well. Um, mm-hmm. But Otto Porter wasn't that one trick pony, right? He was, very integral and um, one of the first guys off the bench. Yeah. You have a lot of size, you get a lot of shooting and it worked wonders. I think that Otto Porter is kind of the perfect mold for a guy that the Warriors need right now. But I mean, and, and to play devil's advocate advocate here, what you are missing though is some insurance, right? So if Draymond or Looney get hurt and have an extended absence, um, and we haven't had a chance to see uh, TJD play yet. Um, he had a minor hamstring injury and missed the first two games of the California Classic. But I think that's what I'm expecting to be the front court insurance um, yeah. is him. And, and that's why you draft him with the 57th pick. That's why you kind of effectively swap him for Patrick Baldwin Jr., Um in kind of included in in that uh chris paul trade it gets yeah. a little complicated with how they kind of worked it out um but you get the sense that 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 was kind of the idea of that swap that you save a little bit of money and you get another kind of tweener undersized big i think he he's measured at like six nine and and some change but he's got he's got the seven foot wingspan um but he is a real presence in the middle um mm-hmm. like a 20 and 10 guy in college with like almost three blocks a game and he led the he led the ncaa and uh and real plus minus um last season so mm-hmm. certainly can be or projects to be an impact difference maker and i'm really excited he's probably the one the one guy that i was most excited excited and anxious to see play so i'll be waiting to see when um when he's ready to go and uh also kind of curious how he uh how he got hurt are they going that hard in their practices yeah their practices in training camp um so but yeah definitely need somebody because right now he's it he's one the one guy on the roster that could possibly fill that obviously kaminga could be um can fill in at the forward spot but i I don't think, you know, I think as a rookie, we saw Kaminga play that kind of small ball five. Um, but but he really is kind of being used as like a four right now. Yeah, definitely. I think the the interesting thing about the Chris Paul trade especially is that it changes Kaminga's role up so much. Like when you talk about explosive bench scoring, a lot of that is probably going to end up being on Jonathan Kaminga. 
because at his at his core, like he can score like it's nobody's business. So I think that it's him being able to kind of impose his will as a scorer is going to be great for his development. Um, I think that adjusted role. Uh, I, I don't. I can't see him playing a small ball five again. I think you're right on that one. Um, I think that he's kind of a. He could. He has the potential to be off the bench, especially a walking mismatch, and I don't think that's really what you're looking for from an, an undersized center off of the bench. But yeah, definitely, I think that that insurance factor could definitely help, which is why uh, it makes sense that the Warriors kind of, once they saw that, they read a report, I believe it was from the Athletics uh, Warriors staff, that they kind of paused on Dario Saric after they saw that Jock Lando was not getting uh, his offer sheet matched from the Suns. And he kind of made a little bit more sense in my mind. Like it, it figured that he was going to be a good signing if the Warriors could get him. But I do think that that kind of stalled out their ability to get Sarich before we had the whole, you know, reports that suddenly he's trying to see where Dame lands because that's where he wants to go. And I think that to a certain degree, not pulling the trigger on signing Saric when it seemed like they had the chance may ended up being a mistake just because he's a good field player. He's a front court spacer. He could play that kind of small ball five and provide that insurance that would give not just a healthy center rotation, but also different looks for the Warriors offense, which if last year's kind of heavy, any evidence, then, you know, diversifying their offensive attack, especially off the bench is assuredly in their best interest yeah so you think so you feel like the warriors have had an opportunity to sign him and maybe to pause and now that's coming back to bite them a little bit i think that it's just kind of what i've what i've heard and what i've read has been that you know sarge seemed like a first day of free agency signing for the warriors but the jock landale situation in phoenix probably gave them a little bit of pause and you know to a certain degree lando does seem like a steve kerr kind of player just based on what we saw in the playoffs last year mm-hmm. i mean he was hustling everywhere he was making his presence felt to a certain degree as much as a player can against Nikola Jokic. <laughs> but um he definitely seemed like a warriors guy and i think that a lot of the a lot of the offseason signings and you know draftees that we've we've had have gotten very vocal Steve Kerr approval. So it seems like, you know, Dunleavy Jr. and his staff are doing their best to follow Kerr's input and how he would kind of like to construct the team, which would make me think that if Lando was available, then yeah, you can kind of think about him over Sarge a little bit more. But I do think that there was probably a very a relatively tight window to sign Sarge didn't end up happening. Uh, very possible that it doesn't happen now. And yeah. you're kind of looking at a very drying up market. Yep. Yep. There's also a really interesting kind of segue you're mentioning about uh, Mike Dunley Jr. Mike Dunleavy Jr. and staff looking to align to Steve Kerr. Um, 
clearly we can see that there has been some disconnect over the last few years with that, yeah. despite them winning in, in 2022. Um, Anthony Slater came out with an article today in The Athletic, uh, how the Warriors shook up their player development department. It was a really interesting read talking about how um, Seth Cooper, who's been the Santa, the Santa Cruz head coach, and um, David Fataki, who's the Santa Cruz general manager, mm-hmm. they're kind of creating this new, they're kind of creating this uh, development department changes within the organization that um, Seth Cooper is no longer going to be the coach of the Santa Cruz C-dubs, but is, I think, coaching them for summer league right now. And then um, Fatoki. So the two of them are going to kind of combine to be in charge of Warriors player development, but Mm -hmm. Cooper is going to be coming with the Warriors, following with them on the team. He's going to be on road trips behind the bench, um, but not necessarily involved in like night to night strategy, but he's going to be running all the practices and drills and scrimmages and pregame workouts. Mm -hmm with an emphasis of like working with the younger warriors. And then David Fataki is kind of the GM, bring all of that information to Mike Dunleavy Jr., who could then report it to Lake Up. And so Steve Kerr had some really interesting quotes in this article, signing off on this process, talking about how since Steve joined the Warriors in 2014, they've like tripled their staff. Um, and talking about how there's like so many different opinions and voices and ideas and thoughts, questions around why this player is only getting so much playing time or why this player played over this player. Um, and I get a lot of um, vibes from the movie Moneyball, right? The GM, yeah. Billy Bean puts together the team, but the coach refuses to play the team how how the GM wants to. And, and all... Right. All Billy Bean can do is like trade away all the pieces until until he's forced to to play the guys that are there. Um, And so you can see Kerr kind of reading between the lines of his quotes. And I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but kind of just basically saying that there needed to be some alignment and communication. And and just because we say that we're on the same page doesn't mean anything. Let's actually get together and talk. And so the thought process is these two guys, Seth Cooper and David Fataki, can handle doing that, right? Seth is going to be more involved in on-the-ground, long-term warriors, scrimmages, young players, and things of that nature, um, and then fa- and and be involved in kind of seeing, oh, Kamingo only played 15 minutes this night because of reasons X, Y, Z. And that can all be understood so that Lakeup's not like, why isn't my boy Wiseman getting 30 minutes a night? Yeah. Um, and and less yeah. of this extra time and attention or maybe or maybe confusion in the chain as to this person's coming to this person, coming to this person to get answers. So let's just yeah. make information flow more freely and flow more optimally. So like Steve Kerr isn't having to deal with Joe Lakeup's questions. It's kind of right. the the uh, Cliff Notes version of that. So really interesting read and um, very insightful into some of the issues that have been going on behind the scenes that we can now kind of more clearly see and get a feel for that explain 
some of the challenges and, and also decisions to get rid of Wiseman, Poole, uh, Ryan Rawlings, Patrick Baldwin Jr. I mean, last season you had like half the roster that was like year three or less basically unplayable um, in the playoffs, and you've cut, you know, 60% of that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I haven't had a, haven't had a chance to read the article yet, but I've seen some excerpts of it, and um, it, to me, it makes a lot of sense, uh, especially Cooper being sort of on the development staff, um, because now you, I think you have a a group of young guys that fits the win now timeline a little bit better. Uh, the way the Warriors draft this year was very, uh, it was very based on like how how these guys feel the game, uh, and I think that. Pods and TJD are both players who were scouted as having some of the best feel in their draft class. Um, Jackson Davis falling as far as he did in part because of his age, but mostly because he was a too traditional of a center. Uh, his feel more than makes up for that. And I think the Warriors got a steal at that, at that, uh, at that pick. But I think that Cooper being with the, with the team and especially when you have guys who are balling out in summer league, like, Lester Kiyunas and um, Key Santos, him being a part of the Warriors coaching staff and when you're going to see guys who are probably going to get two-way contracts in um, Lester and Guy, him also being able to coach up the younger guys, it just creates a, a little bit more of a, a comfort level with them at the, the main team because this is a guy that they've worked with before, uh, especially – for um, the two guys who are probably going to be on two ways, they were on the Warriors G League team last year when Cooper was coaching. I think that the whole process, especially involving um, the uh, you know the C Dubs GM, uh, him having worked with Cooper before, definitely makes the communication a lot easier, and I think it's very insightful, like you said, to kind of how this new general management front office regime for the Warriors is attempting to streamline essentially communication and get everybody on the same page. So I think that that's going to be very beneficial. I think it's going to be super beneficial for the young guys, um, especially because how long has um, Cooper been the coach of the G League before? Uh, Two years. Season? Two years. So he's worked with. And he's worked um, with the Warriors for five yeah, so he's familiar with the organization and he's, to a certain degree, maybe less familiar with Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody, but, you know, he's a voice that's been around, he's a voice that's respected, and um, I just think process is going to be a lot easier. I think it's going to translate really well into kind of management on court and just generally the the flow of information through the organization, kind of like you were saying. So I think that it's, uh, I definitely have to read a little bit more about it because I, like I said, I haven't read the full thing, but at a first glance, super interesting. I think it's going to be great. Um, you know, there's a lot right about their, the approach that they're taking with this, this kind of player development reorganization, uh, definitely will be interesting to see how it, uh, plays out. Yeah. Very insightful, to say the least. Um, one one thing I had to add, you mentioned about uh, Jackson Davis falling to 57. I'm not sure if you had seen similar reports, but I had seen stuff that um, his agent 
is the brother of Mike Dunleavy Jr. There's some type of like familial relationship there oh. where um, uh, Jackson Davis was getting calls from other teams that were asking him if he would be okay um, signing a two-way deal. And he said no with the understanding and knowledge that if he fell deep enough, the Warriors would draft him and give him guaranteed money. And so what I read is he actually said no to a lot of teams that would have potentially drafted him earlier in the second round or late in the first round, but didn't necessarily want to guarantee him a contract. And so he said, no, thank you, because he had an inside track and knew that the Warriors were interested in him and would give him that. Um, if he fell all the way. I hadn't heard about that, but that does make his, uh, the four-year contract he signed make a, a little bit more sense for sure. Um, yeah, that's that's very interesting. I think that um, he was probably kind of high on a lot of teams' draft boards too. Uh, everything that I've, I think that this is this is a weird trend in the NBA draft where older players tend to get overlooked because they're older. Uh, when a right. lot of teams don't realize that you can really shore up a rotation with guys who have multiple years of college experience or multiple years of pro experience who are high feel, high skill players who may be a bit out of sorts position wise. In Jackson Davis's case, he's, um, you know, he's a couple couple quarters over six nine but he's a very talented player he gets rebounds he can you know shoot the mid-range he can score at the basket uh like you said he almost averaged three blocks in college and an underrated stat he all averaged over four assists while he was at um he was yeah, very, very capable well. the with the dho yeah, and that's a which is a huge thing for the Warriors offense, especially. But him kind of having that that feel out of the post and that post passing, uh, when he's such a, a dominant force that's going to attract attention in the post when he's on, I think that that's um, that's what makes him such an intriguing prospect. And I I'm kind of glad that uh, he took that uh, he took that betting on himself mentality because he does seem very confident in that he knows how mm-hmm. good he is or how good he can be. And for the Warriors to kind of, I would say that he is a potential to be steal of the draft if he's a ready-made contributor right away, which I think he can be. Uh, for him to kind of bet on himself like that, very telling about um, his level of confidence and you know just his mentality, which I think is great. And I think that the Warriors. Uh, they were smart to offer him that kind of contract because I think that if, even if he's not super ready to go right now, he seems like somebody who, just based on his game, could translate pretty well to the NBA. Yeah, him, him and Pods both have an edge, and you can see that that the Warriors want that, right? Yeah. And that kind of DiVincenzo un, untangible, right? That yeah, just, absolutely. you know, so... I think that's kind of a nice segue. I haven't really talked about him too much, but um getting to watch the first two the first two games of Summer League, Lester Quinones has obviously been balling out, mm-hmm. uh shooting like 55% from three, um, had 26 points in the first game, 21 in the second. Um 
kind of surprising, but also not how similar his game looks to Jordan Poole with his yeah. moves and mannerisms. But you see how much work that they were doing and drills and stuff together. It kind of makes sense. But also still a little a little eerily weird when you see him do the step back three and, and some of the herky-jerky moves. Yeah. Um, what have your thoughts been uh, so far on uh, Quinones and uh, Pods? Uh, Quinones, I like. I liked him last year, especially. You know, he had a couple a couple games where he was really showing off his scoring ability in the G League. Um, kind of what I like, like you were saying, he reminds me a lot of Jordan Poole, but he almost reminds me. And I know that this is kind of at a G League summer league level, so you know, there's a grain of salt attached to attached to this take. But of he course. seems like he's a stronger, sort of more in control of his pace jordan Poole, and maybe that's just because he's not as quick that it's a little more noticeable how he can change up the pace but he's also a pretty good defender too he's like a a disciplined defender you know he kind of knows his role he can lock and trail he can you know get over screens he's he has a lot of solid defensive feel and fundamentals um i think that he's been great in summer league i think that he's going to end up in kind of a, a contributor role in the same way that Jerome and Lamb were last season um, on a two-way contract, assuming that the – and I would bet that the Warriors match just because of what they've, what they've seen from him so far is, you know, it's pretty impressive and you could see that he has a lot of consistency in his game and even to a certain degree that he's getting better. So I think that he's going to be a – I think he's going to be a deep rotation piece that when, you know, you have, you know, potentially Clay Thompson sitting games or one of Steph Curry or Chris Paul sitting games, I think that he has a lot of chances to provide a kind of a sneaky scoring punch as well as being a, at least a net neutral on the defensive end. In yeah, terms he's of, playing more like the three. Right. I yeah. mean, he's not your prototypical NBA three, six, seven long wing, wingspan type of guy, yeah. but at he's least in summer league, he he's, he's slating out there playing, playing the wing. Yeah. And it's been, you know, it's a pretty great effect considering that he's, you know, like you said, shooting 55% from three and he takes a lot of, he takes a lot of good shots as well. I've noticed is that a lot of his, a lot of his shots aren't super forced or he takes advantage of, defenders giving him space as opposed to always trying to create some extra space uh which is a thing that i i noticed with pool a lot you definitely see some similar tendencies uh with canonas but overall i think that he's going to be a, a very solid addition on a two-way contract for sure um Podjemski has impressed me i'm not gonna lie i was not super high on the pick just because um I was big on Chris Murray. I think that especially after seeing his twin brother ball out in the summer league, having a player who can kind of get you get you a lot of buckets in that style, uh, which you know uh, most draft experts compared uh, Chris to his to his brother, which I thought was mm-hmm. pretty funny. Uh, but I think that uh, Pods's feel for the game is impressive. And I think that especially when you're coming coming into uh, an NBA situation as a sophomore who transferred into a mid-major. Uh, and that's 
you know, shout out to the West Coast Conference. Um, definitely no slouches there. That's where my alma mater is. But um, no, he definitely, definitely has come in with, and you kind of saw the duality in the two games that he played. In the first game, he was, you know, just making a lot of right plays. He wasn't being particularly aggressive, but he had good game feel. He was making the right reads. Uh, just a lot of things that you want to see out of a guy that you could potentially add to the rotation. And then the second game, when he was getting a little bit more aggressive with his scoring, um, you know, a lot of the knocks on his scouting reports were that he just wasn't that athletic, but he's crafty in the lane. Uh, he knows how to attack closeouts. He can absolutely lace the ball. I mean, you know, he's got a great shot. Uh, he's a, a lefty, which I always think is kind of a plus. Uh, it's kind of a weird thing with lefties and their ability at the NBA level just because it throws defenders off so much. And I think that him having such a good game sense and game feel has been huge. And his five steals yesterday in the summer league was something that particularly impressed me because his defense was something that was a bit of a concern on his draft report as well. So him being able to kind of get in the lane and make those predictive reads is really, I think, symbolic of a, a high-feel player who can make an impact immediately. Uh, you know, I think he's a little shorter probably than most uh, most scouting reports would place him at. I mean, they say he's 6'5", but he measured at the combine and I think a hair under 6'4", without shoes. Um so I think that he's he's definitely a guard. I think he can play a little bit as like a, a point wing, point sort of like smaller point forward, uh, just because that's the kind of game that he plays. But I think that he's uh, he's shown some ability that I was a little skeptical on just because of you know the whole mid major thing and uh, just being a a subpar a quote subpar athlete i mean he, he measured with a 36 inch max vertical or something ridiculous like that uh, he just doesn't play super athletic but definitely been impressed with both of those guys and Guy santos as well and uh mike dunleavy jr said they had pods at 11 that they were stoked that he fell tonight to 19 yeah uh, that was that was it's a little bit of a head head scratcher comment. yeah <laughs> he definitely seems like um, a Warriors guy, which makes sense yes. why they would have him so high. But I, I just don't think that. I'm not sure how how they got to how they got to 11. Being, you know, <laughs> being a steal at 19 was kind of the kind of the pick. Although it's, he's looking pretty pretty much like a lot of teams shouldn't have passed on him. Yeah, he he's super crafty. He's got some D'Lo esque moves. He had that really nice highlight. Um, yesterday against Charlotte where he gets the steal and then the double pump fake at the three-point line and then yeah, just strokes cool. it. So you just see how he understands his limitations, right? He's not the super athlete. He's not super fast, but he's able to use his body to create space, to take, take advantage of a pump fake um, and just have a little bit more body control and awareness. And like you said, the feel for the game is spot on. He sees the pass, not just the immediate guy that's open, but he's already putting it together. Okay, this guy's open, but this defender's going to move. So this other guy's going to be open. 
um, on the weak side, so on and so forth. Like he's processing things very fast. You know, Steve Kerr talks about 0.5 basketball so much. He just seems like he'll fit in there so well. So Mm -hmm. I'm really impressed so far. Obviously he hasn't had the flashiest of stat lines, but um, also his teammates haven't been able to convert almost uh, any of his assists. So I feel like his assist numbers would be a lot better, but how many times um, his, uh, his bigs or forwards are are getting rejected in the lane when he's, uh, when he's fed them the ball. Um, The three point shot looks great. The free throws are a little confusing. He went one for four in the second game. Uh, I think he went one for three in the first game. So hope, hopefully that's just a little bit of jitters. Um, it would be un- be a little surprising for him to be such a good three-point shooter and and not be able to, you know, at least be kind of like league average or, you know, yeah. in the 80s for, for free throws. Um, and then, yeah, I think he has a lot of potential defensively, maybe not to be like your lockdown point of attack on-ball defender, but you can see how he does some of those things that, DiVincenzo does where he just he can read plays he can be in the passing lanes we've seen Steph Curry do that a lot as well right like maybe you're not the most gifted um, athlete with size or speed or athleticism but using your intelligence putting yourself in the right position um, predicting where the defense where the offensive player is going to put the ball and being able to poke it away just showing a lot in his back a lot of different intangibles in a very different set of skills than we've seen previous warriors draft picks in recent vintage um, yeah. just way more polished and way more potential to, to find his way into steve kerr's rotation and lineup um i don't think there's lofty expectations that he's going to get 15 20 minutes a night but you know there could be a night where chris paul and steph curry sit and Corey Joseph is your starting point guard and and pods is number two off the bench and and gets some sizable run and and we'll see who knows um mm-hmm. the jury's still out so I'm really excited uh to see what this kid can do he he definitely is um a glimpse into a different mentality of talent evaluation and um a guy that you can see Steve Kerr would would gladly deploy in a rotation. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's kind of the the biggest thing with him is that he's a lot different than, you know, and I feel like there was a certain degree of this discussion with uh, Moses Moody when he was drafted, but I think that um, there's definitely a lot of, you know, he, I think that Pods' play connection especially is going to be uh, something that likely influences Steve Kerr to play him a little bit more than he would the average rookie in the past couple of years. Yeah. And Moody just might be the, the sad um, kind of fallout or, or fall guy for not having a true point guard to play around. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that's Moody Moody's biggest issue from my perspective was um, they wanted him to be the point of attack defender last year. He couldn't really do it. And then he would get into the tr- the habit or trap of dribbling into traffic, dribbling into the corner, and and not making that 0.5 decision. But what yeah. he is the play finisher, and it's just like shoot the open three, go get the O board, follow your shot, like play hard and aggressive. He excels and looks great. Yeah, uh, and yeah. was even guarding like LeBron James and um, fours at times. So he was even defending up. So. 
Um, I think it was just a little bit of a, a challenge for him not being put in the re- in the best situation where, you know, if he'd been playing next to Steph Curry, I think he'd be a little bit easier for him. And and we oh, yeah. that's what we saw in the Lakers series, right? He's on the floor with the starters and he looks amazing. You put him out there with, with Jordan Poole and Kaminga and Wiseman and you're scratching your head like nobody could do anything right yeah, on the floor. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely that kind of complimentary player. And I think that it's it's kind of like a kind of like we were talking about earlier is having Chris Paul instead of Jordan Poole changes his role a lot. And I think that it's going to um, be very beneficial for him. Any more thoughts on anything we've talked about? Free agency, summer league, young guys, or new draft picks? Um I think we, we kind of touched on most of it. Uh, TJD, excited to see him play. Uh, his game feel is, and his athleticism, honestly, for for his height is something that I was pretty impressed with when I was looking at his college tape. Um, excited to see him play in summer league. Uh, I I've, I want to kind of rehash the. Uh, I want to show some love for uh, for Guy Santos, okay, just because he's been balled out a little bit. Uh, he's. Let me get uh, stats up for him real quick. Yesterday, he had a pretty good game, very efficient game. He was like seven for nine shooting uh, at 18 points. Overall, he's just been playing bigger, I think, than we would have expected him to play. Or, I mean, kind of when they when they drafted, when the Warriors drafted him, I mean, he was kind of this, you know, lanky wing that they didn't get a lot of. Uh, they weren't expecting a ton of, and you know he seemed like a very, very much a project player. But I think kind of the size that he's put on has been, uh, been pretty impressive. He's shown that he can get into the lane, that he's going to stay aggressive. Uh, been shooting thirty six percent from three, I think, in the summer league. He's just generally been kind of better than better than expected. Uh, I do hope he's one of the two way spots. I think that he could. Provide a little bit of value and three now, in a certain three two-way spots now. Yeah, exactly. So I think that him getting one of those would be uh, would be good. Um, but yeah, he's just been uh, he's one of the the names that's kind of I feel like the the pods love and obviously with Kenona is doing so good. Um, he hasn't gotten a ton of attention, but is definitely you know somebody who. Could potentially fill that, you know, stretch wing role aside from, you know, Kaminga providing rim pressure. And even Santos can provide a little bit of a rim pressure himself. So I would I would hope that he gets a, a little bit of run. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, Kaminga's role is changing. I think he's going to have an excellent season. Um, Do you feel like this is kind of make it or break it for Kaminga? I mean, he's got... He's got more money coming, and then eventually we got to figure out contract situation. Yeah. I think that for the Warriors it is. I feel like no matter where he kind of ends up, unless he absolutely flames out this season and is just trash, which I, I'm not entirely sure is possible, uh, some team is going to want him because he's shown a lot of flashes of being really good really early. I think that him sort of changing his role to what I would consider the first or second option off of the bench is going to do wonders for him. I think that playing with Chris Paul is going to do a lot of wonders for him. 
Uh, you see kind of the skill work he does in the offseason. And, you know, we have obviously the, you know, the infamous Ben Simmons shooting threes kinds of videos that we get from offseason workouts. Um, if Kaminga is really legitimately upgraded, kind of his handle, his decision-making, uh, his self-creation, then I think that he's going to have an excellent season. Um, I would, I guess for the Warriors, it would be make or break. Uh, I think that he's going to fit a little bit more into his skill set this year. But I definitely think that some team, if not the Warriors, he's going to thrive somewhere else. Yeah. 15-5-3 and three doesn't seem absurd at all for him. I mean, no, you got to think the 20 shots that Poole was putting up are now up for grabs, and, and Kaminga is so efficient if he's being put in the right spots. And we've seen, you know, Kaminga can be a three-level scorer. You know, yeah. he can he can shoot wide open threes, especially in the corner. His mid-range is good. He's got face up. He's obviously super athletic and loves to get to the rim. Um just add a few rebounds in there to make Steve Kerr happy and a little bit of playmaking. And and yeah, I think he could he could be the focus in the second unit. Yeah. I could honestly even see him getting 16 or 17 a game just because he gets to the line so well. He's so physical. Like there's not a, a lot of ways that defenders can stay in front of him without fouling. So I think that I think that free throw shooting is going to be a huge point of emphasis this season for him as well. And yeah. you kind of saw his, his shot mechanics got a little cleaner last season. Um but yeah, upping that free throw percentage, uh, because he can really get to the line whenever he's he's in the lane. So huge point of emphasis for him there. Yeah, and you I mean you want all of that because ideally, you know, you'd get Kaminga playing 30 minutes a night and and take yeah. some of the workload off of Draymond and Looney. Yeah, definitely. And even to a certain degree, you know, like Andrew Wiggins when the Warriors go small is Kaminga would be a a great analog to to him as well. Yeah, Wiggins another guy. Um I felt like really fell into that kind of um championship hangover of last season just did not look like the same aggressive player to start the season obviously missed so much um of the season as well and then um incredible how quickly he came back to make it for the playoffs and and returned to form and showed a little bit more of that intensity yeah um but definitely not the same player that was so pivotal to that championship run where there were times right. where other than Steph Curry, he was um, clearly the second best player on the floor. Um, yeah. Grabbing double-digit rebounds, just being so aggressive offensively, not just settling for threes. Um, so I'm looking to see Andrew Wiggins get back to himself as well. And um, that kind of leads me to, to where I kind of wanted to close things is uh, early, early win-loss predictions. Obviously, you know, Warriors mm -hmm. still have couple roster spots here to fill, but I think we're kind of on the same page that those are really kind of the complementary end of the bench pieces. Be like, this is the team. We've got we've got the guys, we've got the makings of our regular season roster here. Um where do you where do you have the Warriors win wins wise? What do you think is is reasonable? Oh um that's I don't know. It's it's tough to tough to kind of think about that. Um, 
you know, with the point of reference that the Warriors won 44 games last season. Yeah, it kind of depends on where their where free agency ends up taking them. Um, I think that if if they get Saric and if they get another kind of big who they can play 10 minutes a night, um, assuming that you know you don't have any more kind of rocky chemistry issues, or if you don't have assuming like the the fit works essentially. I don't think it's unreasonable to see this team as a 50-win team just because, you know, Steph Curry's brilliance could absolutely catapult a team that, you know, won 44 games last year but draft, but um, drastically improved around the margins, whether it's by their players getting older or by signing more veteran free agents. I don't think that it's unreasonable to discount his ability to raise a team's floor uh, saying that they could be a 50-win team. Realistically, I think that they're probably going to win 47 games. Would be my would be my kind of target area. Um, you know, give or take, you know, 46, 48 as well. But I, I think that you know when you're kind of looking at a team that could potentially be a little more interested in those losses early in the season where they were losing to bad teams. Uh, I think that Chris Paul would definitely help a lot with with that when he is able to play. Um, so I don't think that even surpassing their 2022 win total of, uh, you know, 51, I think it was. It was either 51 or 53. But I think that being a 50 plus one win team isn't uh, isn't a super foreign concept in that regard. I would say 47, but I think it could be 50 plus. Pretty reasonable conservative take. I've got them. I've got them fifty-ish, fifty-plus. I feel like they. I feel like thinking back to how awful they were last season and how many <laughs> games they threw away and how how bad we looked and the turnovers and the fouling. Yeah, Curry missing time, Wiggins missing time, um, GP two not being healthy, Wiseman on the roster, and that team right. won forty-four games. Um, I know, you know, it's it's kind of hard to also extrapolate like did the West get better, did they not? I know some yeah. teams improve, but others didn't, or it's a little hard to to get a, a feel for all of that. But I just think that if um if everybody's on the same page now that we're gonna win and we built this team to win, and Steve Kerr's got different players he can use and guys are are um, buying into their roles and, and, you know, Clay Thompson works on the shot hunting and Wiggins comes out aggressive and the defense intensity is there. And we're not, you know, 30th in the league in turnovers and 29th in the league in fouls committed. You give yourself so much more room for error and to win games and be successful when you're not just like gifting the team 20 to 30 free points a night um, through turnovers and fouls. And so I think if, We'll find out pretty fast how intentional they are. I think there's obviously some concerns about a starting lineup of Curry, uh, Paul Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, and and Draymond. Um, Who's going to guard who? But um, I do think that there's going to be a lot more intentionality. I hope to God that we don't see a single pass hit Clay Thompson in the back of the head. I pray (laughs) for that. We're good for at least one season. Um, but I just think that these guys are going to come out hungrier. And we saw that the season with Ubre when they lost in the play in 
to the Grizzlies and the Lakers that they were hungry. And that's when they started like 18 and three and had all that momentum. I'm expecting some similar type of intensity and hunger and desire that was clearly lacking last season. I mean, you could just tell it was phone it in. We're, we're going to the playoffs games. Regular season doesn't matter. And your bad habits go, go on for so long that, that they become, um, they become routine and and yep. that really was a challenge and it was really hard to watch. So um, improvements from, from Moody and Kaminga uh, refinement from the vets. And there's no confusion now about what's going on, where this te- the direction of this team, who's getting paid or not. It's all been sorted out. I guess maybe Clay Thompson is still the question mark, but I mean, he led the league in, in three-point makes last year. I certainly think yeah. Clay's got a lot to prove this season. Everyone's talking about how bad of a series he had against the Lakers, and rightfully so. Um, I think there's so much more to his game that he has the potential to showcase um, still kind of, you know, if he could actually show up to training camp in shape and not um, take the summer off. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to uh to look forward to and and to be excited about for this young team but yes it also will be very interesting to see what happens um between now and the start of the regular season do they sign anybody else um or are they just going to be stuck with uh with kind of the leftovers here yeah i think there's definitely also a you know there's a factor of the the west you know you see a lot of teams who were sort of the the skeletons of what they are now i think the lakers improved around the margins the suns obviously improved around the margins and also got another all-star um so i think that factors into it a little bit but you know if if i were to put out a a bold prediction for this season like a an extraordinarily hot take uh if steph curry can meet the minimum amount of games then we might be locking up a third mvp for him I think that he would come out into this season swinging, especially after you could see he was so frustrated in the playoffs last year. I mean, he still has a lot of a lot to give in terms of his ability. So if he can meet that minimum games played threshold, no major injuries happen, you know, walk on knock on wood, um, he'll be in contention by the end of the season, and I don't think that it's entirely impossible for him to win it. And if and if Curry's if Curry's a uh legit vying for his third MVP season and everybody else is playing in line with him and locked in on both sides. And, you know, we've got consistent contributors. I don't see why, you know, Warriors couldn't finish top three in the West. Absolutely. I think that um, on paper, Phoenix has made all of these moves and signed just about every, every, that that minimum guy that there is to sign. Look at Milwaukee last season. Right? They yep. lost to Miami. I think continuity means something here, and and it is great to assemble this team with all these all stars and all this talent, and then all these um, incredible free agents who you think are going to be able to provide all of this. You look at the Clippers too, dealing you know, been dealing with the same issues with with having like fifteen NBA vets, like yeah. playable guys. Right? There's yeah. not enough playing time for everyone. You're on you're on these these one these two-year deals with player options so you're not really building for anything um still don't really have a true point guard between durant beal uh and booker um 
So I still have a lot of question marks for Phoenix um, as to, you know, how does that translate to uh, winning basketball in the postseason? But we'll see. Make a great pickup team. Yeah. The Drew League dream team right there. All right, James, I think we're in a pretty good spot here. Obviously, so much to talk about. Um, Still really excited. I feel like last season, um, Summer League and California Classic, we didn't really have much to be excited about watching because they were just like showcasing Ty Jerome and Anthony Lamb. They had like a bunch of nobodies on on the on the roster, and now we've got you know Quinones, Pods, and others, um, and uh, TJD also to make his debut. So summer league should be really fun and exciting. Um, a lot of different interesting storylines going on in the NBA. Obviously, yeah. the Lillard trade drama um, being one of them, and so uh, yeah, it's uh, certainly not a dull or a boring off season for sure. Yeah. Oh, not not at all. And I thought that honestly, with the free agent pool, it might have been, but it's been it's been pretty memorable so far. Always great to uh, have you back on the show, man. Yeah, pleasure to pleasure to chat as usual. Thank you for having me on again. Alrighty, man. You take care. All right, you as well. Have a good one.